Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest results, storylines, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, April 22nd. It was one heck of a weekend for the game of tennis with college tennis season wrapping up. There were a ton of conference tournaments. I was always satisfied with my tennis viewing experience this weekend. Shout out to PlaySite for really doing a good job streaming all of those matches. Uh, Later on in the podcast, I'm going to have Chris Halioris come on the pod and we'll discuss all of that. The implications, obviously, there's a big Florida loss, Wake Forest winning the ACC. Virginia over UNC. A ton of great results. We get into all of that, but there's also a ton of great professional tennis. You look at Monte Carlo. I mean, I I know I'm a tennis nerd and most tennis fans would probably have started with that news and that would be, you know, it wouldn't be a stereotypical thing to do. That's a testament to how great the tennis was. We had Djokovic going down in the quarterfinals to Medvedev, obviously Dusan, the Deuce Lajovic making a dream run to the final, and then of course Fabio Fognini summoning some of his best tennis for three uh, matches in a row against Chorich, Nadal, and Dusan to take home his first Masters title. A ton of exciting stuff to talk about. Unfortunately, Max Rothman, it is Passover weekend for us. So he is with his family, I believe, in Boca Raton. So I hope he's enjoying his Pesach. Um, It's just going to be me steering the ship. So I am going to talk about Monte Carlo. Of course, Sarasota, Tommy Paul winning the title there, saving all 15 of the break points he faced against Tennis Sandgren. Going to get into that a little bit. And then later on, we'll have our Chris Halioris come by. So with that... Uh, oh, I should also mention, uh, because it's just me steering the ship, we're going to save our announcement till I have someone else on the pod. It's a little bit more fun for who won this week's challenge to win that Crack Rackets gear, so make sure you stick around to tomorrow's episode. We did not forget about that contest. I just don't want to be a loser, you know, share that news alone. That feels like something that should be shared. So with that, let's talk about the tennis. Uh, I have to start in Monte Carlo because, as I mentioned, the fact that Djokovic lost in the quarterfinals was not the biggest takeaway of the event, not the shocking storyline, speaks to how great it was, but that's the match I want to start with real quick. Uh, obviously, Novak Djokovic goes out to Daniil Medvedev, 6-3, 4-6, 6-2, and it's not even that Medvedev played his best tennis. He was just so pesky. He stuck around. He didn't give Djokovic any easy outs. You know, Medvedev, not a guy known for his clay prowess, and you can kind of see he's still not the most comfortable sliding on the surface, but man, he tracked so many balls down, made Djokovic hit that extra shot repeatedly. You know, for Medvedev, he won 70% of his first serve points, 62% of his second serve points, but he only made 49% of his first serves. That's that's really not a number you expect to have and, and win against a Novak Djokovic. Now, on Novak's side, he makes 54% of his first serves. Not great. Wins 65% of those points, but loses, or wins only 48% of his second serve points. Faces 10 break points on the match. Medvedev breaks him five times. Djokovic only gets two breaks of Medvedev. Medvedev, I think it just speaks to Medvedev was able to be the aggressor. He was able to be the one dictating which sides the rallies were being played to. He was the one moving Djokovic around, misfooting Djokovic, and he just kind of stuck around. Now, you know, three out of five, would Novak have been able to, you know, summon an effort to come back in this one? Maybe. I mean, when you're serving 49%, you got to expect Novak Djokovic is going to jump on you. Um, But he just didn't have it in this match. And that's okay. There's still plenty of time for him to get in shape for the French Open, but if he wants to complete the Nole Slam, you know, hold all four Grand Slams at once, which he's on the precipice of doing, he's going to have to play better tennis than this, so that's something to certainly monitor as we move on throughout the clay season. The next match I want to talk about, I mean, this guy is the guy we're going to have to talk about because he was the player of Monte Carlo. Fabio Fognini, who in the quarterfinals begins his run coming back against an informed Borna Cioric, 1-6-6-3-6-2. You know, there are times when Fognini looks like he just doesn't care about a match, and then one or two things set him off, and he locks in, and just everything he touched turns to gold. He looks so natural moving on the red dirt. He's able to summon power down the line, cross court at will, keep you as his, uh, you meaning his opponent on their toes. You know, they never know what direction he's going to hit. It doesn't even matter if he um, isn't serving that well. He's just going to give himself so many chances in this match against Chorch. Did not serve well in the first set, only wins 43% of his second serve points. But he just survived. You know, he fights off five of the eight break points he faces. He breaks Chorch four times versus his three. Um, He just, 
he was simply brilliant. And then you look at his next match against Nadal. Uh, he wins that match 6-4-6-2 to beat Rafa Nadal 6-4-6-2 on clay. That, you just don't see that happening. Once again, though, you know, Fognini only makes 48% of his first serves. Now he wins 63% of those points, 54% of his second serve points. But you look at Rafa, he made 69% only wins 44% of his first serve points, 39% of his second serve points, faces 10 break points on the day, get bro- gets broken six times. Obviously, the scoreline reflects that, but Fognini was just gunning returns, going for his ball, not allowing Nadal to dictate it all, You know, pulling the trigger down the line to change d- direction on Nadal, not letting him get comfortable, not letting him set his feet and you know jerk players around the court with his forehand like he likes to do and has done with so much success so often on the clay, but credit to Fognini, I mean, the guy was simply incredible, and in the final, he faces Dusan, the Deuce Lajevich, who on his run to the final uh, knocks off Lorenzo Sinego, the qualifier, then he knocks off, obviously, Daniil Medvedev, 5-1, and one. Medvedev kind of a hangover in that next match, he was up 5-1, but the Deuce just kept scrapping, doing his thing, I mean, his play, his shot making ability to summon winners. He's got a one handed backhand and he just looked so comfortable on the clay. But Fognini was just too much in that final. He wins three and four, firing on all cylinders, winning 75% of his second serve points, holding um, the deuce to 10 of 23 on his second serve. I mean, if you're looking for good tennis, you should have watched Fabio Fognini this weekend. It shows when he's at his best, and everyone has always said this about Fognini. He may have not been uh, in good form in 2019, but, you know, he's been lingering around the top 20. He's had moments. Everyone has seen his flashes of brilliance, and he just strung a couple of those performances together, and it's a testament to him, his perseverance, his team, his support group. The crowd was loving him. He seemed to just relish the opportunity, the moment, and it was a beautiful sight to watch. That's what's so fun about tennis is that the, when these individuals thrive, it feels like we get to share the experience with them because it's just them on the court. It's their triumphs. It's their falls that we all get to see. And when someone has a triumph like this after a downtrodden year, you know, so great. He becomes the first Italian player ever to win a Masters event. He becomes the second oldest player behind John Isner last year in Miami to win their first Masters title, 68th player ever to win an ATP Masters title. I mean... What a run for him. He's second oldest to reach his first final. Uh, I mean, a Masters final. He's just, it's everything you could want. And so this is a guy you have to monitor moving forward. Is anyone saying he's going to win the French Open? No, I don't think anyone's pulling the trigger on that decision yet. But we've seen this level of play from him. And now it's who can match that? Can he sustain that? You just have to be aware of him moving forward because titles like this, you know, they don't come easy. And so it, it's a testament to something he certainly did right, and credit to him. All right, the other thing I want to talk about, and then I promise I will get to my conversation with Chris Hallioris. Uh, we mentioned this on the Friday podcast. I had Mike Cation of the USDA Pro Circuit come on to school me about the French Open wildcard challenge and all of its implications and the play going on in Sarasota. And what a finish we had there. Tommy Paul, who's been suffering, uh, dealing with injuries all year long, comes back, wins the title in the final, an All-American final over Tennis Sandgren, 6-3-6-4. You know, for, for Sandgren, he won his semifinal match, 7-6-2-6-6-2 over Marco Schirone. And, you know, he showed off in that match why he's so great on the surface. His movement comes so natural. The diversity of shot selection he can play with, uh, just the different choices he has. He's able to work all angles, go big power, go big angle, go big spin, go slice. It's so impressive to see him. But Tommy just looks healthy. He looks comfortable. He obviously has the pedigree of a junior French Open, and so you can never uh, doubt him on the surface. But more importantly, he just he looks healthy and comfortable. He was taking balls early against Sandgren, changing direction with the ball so well. When you go, you know, save all 15 break points you, you face, something is going right. You're obviously being comfortable hitting through shots, taking chances in the biggest moments. It was everything you want to see for Tommy Paul, and as I mentioned with that French Open wildcard challenge, he now really has a chance to, you know, all of the time he missed with injury, if he can get the main draw into the French Open, win a round there, his season is right back on track, and it's just so refreshing and so nice as an American tennis fan to see Tommy uh, 
have this sort of success to come back with such ease. His peers, his good friends, Riley and Fritz and Tiafo are all having all of the success and inside the top 50. And Tommy's just been suffering with, you know, dealing with nagging injuries. And now we've seen, you know, we saw at the end of last year when he was healthy, he won a challenger, made a couple finals, and now he's winning another challenger. He's clearly at that level when, when healthy, he is one of the best at the challenger circuit and ready to test his luck on the ATP tour. And, you know, I believe now he's back up to around the one. 50 range in the ATP live rankings 158 with this title he goes into Tallahassee this weekend with a chance to you know if he puts up a good result there semi-final final really lock up that wild card so he's a guy you you know just so happy to see that success and you look at that wild card challenge Giron Sandgren him all in the pole positions Escobedo I believe made a third round in Mexico a bunch of guys in Sarasota uh, made quarterfinals as well Sebastian Corda you have to think about so there's still plenty of guys in contention, and in fact, one other thing I want to do real quick, looking at the week ahead, um, let, let's start with that Challenger Tour because we've got another event in Lyon, Mexico. Uh, I believe we've got a couple Americans there, Michael Redlicky, uh, Millage Kasu, who's a wild card. I've never heard of him, and I watch a lot of tennis, but it'll be fun to see him. Chris Eubanks, the three seed, Donald Young, uh, Kevin King. Ooh, born a Gojo in the draw. Not American, but interesting. Evan King, uh, Alex Sarkeesian, Ernesto Escobedo. Ooh, Skanderman Suri as well, so be on the lookout for that. And then, of course, if you like Mike Cage and you want to hear his voice on the live stream, check out the Tallahassee. Too many Americans to list, but so many in contention. So many former college players in that draw as well. A lot of guys really wanting to make that push into the French Open. So this wild card opportunity is so big for them. So look out for that. On the ATP Pro side, we've obviously got the ATP 500 in Barcelona. Uh, Nadal in the draw there. We've got other guys, uh, you know, FAA, Zverev, uh, Mackey, I believe Opelka Fritz, round one, Shapovalov, Fognini playing that event. Karen Kachanov trying to come back. Tiafo making his clay debut. Munar, Nishioka Schwartzman. That's a tasty first rounder. I mean, it's a ton of great tennis, so you're going to want to listen to the mini break all weekend. And of course, the 250 event in Budapest. Marin Cilic getting some much needed matches under his belt after the slow start to his season. Basilashvili, Kasmanovic, Cecinato, Borna Cioric, all of our favorites. So be sure to listen to the mini break throughout the weekend. You know, no winners and losers because my interview with Chris gets a little long and we don't want to keep you here too much or too long. Yes, it is a mini break. And I know we kind of break from that format, but whatever, that's a topic for another time. Trust me when I say Max Rothman yells at me about that more often. Uh, we're trying to get these episodes shorter, I guess is the theme, but I like tennis. I like to talk about it, so I apologize for doing that. Or I don't apologize for doing that. It is what it is. Anyways, um, it shows it's late at night. It's 1225. I'm Game of thrones out. Um, just a little insight into the mind of Alex Gruskin for our listeners. But the winners has to be tennis. We had college tennis on ESPN everywhere. Uh, we had the Challenger Circuit on Tennis Channel. We had Monte Carlo, all of these events going. So it was such a fun weekend to be a tennis fan. Uh, but with that, uh, I hope you, you, know, you know stick around this week. We've got a ton of great content coming. And as I mentioned, uh, we will announce this week's Crack Rackets Gear winner on tomorrow's podcast. If you missed any of the action from this weekend, check out our website, CrackRackets.com. Matt Sikoyak was in a carry for the ACC tournament watching all of that go down. He wrote some great breakdowns that you guys will want to read. Obviously, with all the ATP action, WTA action, you're going to want to stay up to date. Fed Cup this week, I'm sure we'll talk about that on a future mini break. So yeah, check out all of that. As always, I'll ask you, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Correct Interviews, What the Deuce. Our contest is ongoing, so leave your Instagram handle, Twitter handle, uh, your email address, whatever it is, and get yourself in the contest by leaving a five-star review, and we will try to find you. But with that, enjoy my conversation with Chris Halioris. Joining me now on the Mini Break Podcast, he is a regular guest of our Great Shot Podcast. Whenever we talk about college tennis, you know him as at College Tennis Ranks, his wonderful website, collegetennisranks.com. I know him as my mother's favorite podcast guest, but now we can all know him as the proud uncle of Mississippi State SEC Tournament Champion, Trevor Fauché. Chris Halioris, welcome to the Mini Break Podcast. Hey, good to be back as always, Alex. 
Well, I mean, this weekend, if I told you what I did, I, and I know earlier in this episode, listeners heard us talk about Monte Carlo and Sarasota, but my heart was with college tennis this weekend, given that it was the conference tournaments of so many great conferences, ACC, Big 12, SEC, you could argue those are the three best conferences in tennis this year. I mean, my eyes were glued to my laptop. Shout out to PlaySite because they worked overtime this weekend and so many of the streams, at least that I experienced, I had success with. So great to see them uh, continue to improve. But yeah, Chris, I mean, even before we get into anything, and I should say for our listeners, actually, before we begin, two-folded apology. One, uh, we're going to try and keep it under 20 minutes, but if we don't, that's a testament to how great the tennis was. So we apologize for that. And if this episode gets a little long, but second-fold, if we don't get into all the details of the bracket implications, who we think the top eight seeds are going to be, who's in, who's out of the NCAA tournament right now, rest assured, we are going to try and get a G. GSP where we can go into further depth later on in the week. All of that being said, Chris, what a weekend. Oh, just crazy. All I mean, so much good tennis, especially from the big three conferences, you noted. But even from some of the smaller ones, uh, uh, and, and one in particular that we'll get into with, you know, with, with that had bid feeling implications uh, that came to fruition. So, yeah, a great, great weekend of tennis. And the best part is they all started, you know, Thursday, Friday. So right off the bat and where we're going to begin today's episode, I want to briefly go through some of Friday's results, uh, talk about just some significant ones there because there we did see some early upsets and we did see some future champions get tested. Uh, the match I want to start with, TCU losing 4-2 to an Oklahoma State team that had just beaten Baylor. Or did they beat Baylor? Am I confusing them with Texas Tech? Uh, Texas Tech beat Baylor, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I'm confusing them. The point being, all these Pac-12 schools, so good. I guess, hey, great shot to me. But they beat TCU in the quarterfinals, semifinals, whatever you want to call it. There's only six schools, so I guess semifinals are quarterfinals. I don't even know what to call it. The point being, they knock off TCU, and at this point, TCU is out of top eight seed uh, contention, right? Correct, yep. Yeah, and that was a good, and, I mean, TCU had already beaten I think they might have actually beaten them twice this year, not just once, but they definitely just just beaten them not too long uh, ago before that. So it was, uh, I mean, TCU was, was clearly a heavy favorite in the match. So that was a, that was a really good win for, for Oklahoma State. And you just look at it from the TCU perspective. Obviously, that is not the sort of result you want when you have so many seniors, uh, Stalder, Rybakov, at the top of your lineup. I believe both of those guys end up losing in this one. I mean, just... Look, I'm not writing this TCU team off. They can still be dangerous, but this is really a gut punch for them heading into NCAA tournament play. Yeah, it was. And I'll tell you what, I would paint one very interesting, I don't know how far-fetched scenario for TCU, but but there but there is one scenario where if USC, let's say, were to run the table, they could end up pushing Mississippi State down to eight with TCU sitting at nine. And then we end up, with an interesting committee decision of do they take the TCU head-to-head win over Mississippi State and make them eight and drop Mississippi State to nine, who just won the SEC tournament and and was sitting at six this week. That would be Chris, a, I mean, that'd be a gut punch, but it could happen. There, I get you want to play pessimistic and you're talking with the karma gods here, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, uh, I, I promise you. We're too smart nowadays as a college tennis community to let uh, an SEC tournament winning Mississippi State team not be a top eight seed and then give a second t- or a third probably top eight seed to a Big 12 school. That just How does that happen? Because Baylor and Texas are locks, right? Yeah, so I, yeah, I, think, uh, yeah, I think you're probably right in getting three, three Big 12 teams in and not them. That would be tough. But, uh, but, you know, it's one of those things you just never know what the committee is going to do. I mean, they don't, they don't particularly look at it that way. They're going to look at the schools head-to-head against each other and, and pick the team they think is the one that belongs higher. So, you know, we just, we'll wait and see what happens. Totally fair. Well, then let's move on to two other teams that were tested very, uh, very closely in on Friday, but they ended up surviving. Another one that I think has seeding implications, Stanford survives against the University of Oregon 4-3. You know, for both teams, they get their number one singles players back, and that's huge. And for Stanford, you know, it's enough for them because they end up taking that doubles point. They get wins from Geller, 7-6 in the third at one, Rostart, 3-4 and four at two, uh, 
Jensen one and five at three. And when you can push everyone down a spot, you know, that, that bodes well for that Stanford team that now that they have a full lineup, they can get that win. But I just don't know how they're going to be a top eight seed either. No, I don't. I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure I haven't run it to see if they ran the tourney, if they could get there, but I don't, I don't see that happening, but that was, that was actually a great match to watch the end of because you had Oregon finally getting Thomas Laurent back, and then it came down to Geller and Laurent at one and a third set tiebreak. I mean, that was a that was a great match that would have you know that would have kind of sealed the deal for for Oregon. Oregon still sitting there as a bubble team, and that was a huge huge match for them. Uh, and they're you know they're currently on the outside looking in, so uh, that was that was a heartbreaker for them. Yeah, well, we can move on from that match and talk about our other team that just survived by the scrape of its skin. And the reason I want to mention this match is because we're seeing a theme emerge with this Wake Forest team. They knock out the University of Notre Dame, who's still playing without Alex Ledbedev, manages to win their first match in the ACC tournament, uh, lose 4-3 to this Wake Forest team. And you look at the recipe, Notre Dame, they get the doubles point. They win at four. They win at five. Obviously, Wake Forest, you know their top three can clean up for a lot of unf- you know a lot of mistakes elsewhere in the lineup. Petros cruises, Botzer cruises, Gojo cruises, and then Sid the Kid Banthia ends up pulling out a 7-6 in the third win for them. I mean, they averted disaster, and I know they end up winning this tournament, which we will talk about in a little bit. But this is not, you know, last year's Wake Forest team. This team is culpable to an upset. This team has places you can attack, and it's just, it's, gonna, it's just lining up to be such a fascinating NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's like we keep saying that every time, though, right? It's like, oh, yeah, you could, they, they can be beaten, they can be beaten, and then nobody beats them. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're going to beat them, you're, you have to attack the bottom of the lineup because you're, you know, you're good luck going after Goyo and Risojos and then and even Bots are at three. But, but I mean, when you, when you drop, uh, when you drop the doubles point to Notre Dame and then without Lebedev and without McCormick, I mean, they're missing two of their top three guys and you go four, three, and it takes your six guy to go seven, six in the third. That obviously was a lot closer than they expected that was going to be. And that being said, they seems to have really settled on, you know, Kungu at four. We'll see if that gets challenged or not. If Stathalu at five and then Banthia at six, as opposed to Zablinski, as opposed to Godjev. I don't hate it. You know, we see if Stafalu have success later, and this is if they can keep him at five, you know, Dainu to them. But I just, I, I, I guess I like where this lineup's at, but this just gets back to, I guess, Ohio State, because they haven't lost with Wolf, is the favorite. But I swear to God, there are seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams if I'm drunk you could make a case for. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you've got a couple clear clear favorites up there but uh, as we've seen you know even this weekend that when that we'll get into that anybody can be beaten and when and, and the fact that they had to go four three with notre dame um you know that's missing two two guys it's any any given any given day right yeah absolutely and it, it it's i was lying actually if i was drunk you could talk me into about 14 teams i could make a case for columbia and i think i have to you and others oh, when we're not stop. on <laughs> You're drunk. You're drunk. <laughs> it's Game no, of Thrones. I'm just then, getting yeah, ready. Nothing against the Columbia guys. I mean, I love that team. But, but you know, any given day they can beat a team in there. Yes. Can they make the run and go? You know, and and do it in the do it in the quarters, do it in the semis, and do it in the finals? No, not you know, not three times in a row. But uh, oh, and four if they just just to get to the to the quarters. But but yeah, they're I mean they're very very dangerous team. But uh, oh. but yeah. All I'm saying is, you know where it rains a lot? Florida in May. And yeah. that's where we're going to have yeah. NCAAs. And so yeah. who knows? Maybe we go indoors. There's a lot of things. Yeah, you're right. I'm not going to actually make a case for them right now. But my point, a, a team everyone has made a case for, and this is the perfect way to transition into the juiciest matchup. And I'm sorry we didn't start with it, but I had to get the appetizer out of the way. On Friday, the Florida Gators knocked off by Tennessee in the SEC tournament semifinals. They drop the doubles point, end up winning three singles matches in a row. Comes down to courts two and four. Uh, Andy Andrade opens up a 5-3 lead. Sam Riffis had won, I think, 12 or 13 SEC matches in a row. Chris, you are in Gainesville this weekend for the event. I mean, just lay us the scene, please, for our listeners who didn't get to catch the match. But, I mean, this was crazy. So, for, it was Saturday, not Friday, right? But uh, oh, yeah. they, I mean, 
they, they, I mean, uh, the crowd there was unbelievable. So I'm talking to talking to somebody during the match from, from the Tennessee side. And, uh, and, you know, and they just happened to mention to me, you know, this is what college tennis is about. Even though it's against us, this is when you see a crowd like this that actually affects the match. And they that crowd affected the match on, on some of the courts, especially early on. I mean, they were really, really into it. They were loud. Uh, there's one I don't there was one guy in particular. I don't know. Who, I don't know who he was. He's obviously a regular that kind of paired up with Kessler uh, during the singles and the two of them had this banter going back and forth where they would be like, you know, go Gators, go or whatever they were chanting. One would say one once and, and they would, they were nonstop and, and the crowd themselves were all over those guys. But Tennessee, I mean, they really weathered that storm. They came out and they just, Tennessee dismantled them in doubles. It was, I mean, it was shocking to see how, how bad, I mean, they just, they, they tore them apart in, in double on the two courts that they won. So, which they had to do, right. If they were going to have a chance, and then even at that, you were thinking, well, they're still, I mean, Florida came out okay, and they, they were looking okay in singles. Uh, I, I think they got four first sets. You'd have to, I'd have to go back and look um, to be sure. But, I mean, they were, it seemed like they were doing okay. Uh, but T- Timo was, was not winning uh, at one, and you were kind of thinking, well, if they don't get Stodder at one, uh, they're in trouble. They get, but they get Scotty, jo- Scotty Jones just, I mean, he took it to Engelson. I mean, that was that, that was really shocking how easily and quickly um, that he beat Engelson. Uh, and so that was point number two for them. Florida gets, you know, gets the other courts up besides the last two that are left. So Florida's up 3-2. Uh, Wait, and, up- and can I stop you here for a second? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, there, first of all, excellent job, as always, Chris. That's why we love having you for setting the scene. There's a bunch of things you said there. Number one, uh, having watched these matches on the live stream, I'm not there, so I don't get to feel that crowd component you do. That being said, I felt it in my speakers. You could hear the Gator screams throughout the match. And to Tennessee's credit, their team was giving it right back. And you, if you've seen how this match ends, they're, you know the Tennessee players come off the court Gator chopping after Crawford knocks out Stodder for Florida. They're exchanging words at the net. This was a highly contentious, highly competitive, highly spirited, uh, as highly spirited of a college tennis match as you can see and it was just such a treasure as a viewing experience. If this is what we're seeing in a conference tournament, given the uncertainty around these NCAAs, like I hope people show up because it's going to be an electric atmosphere. Like that's oh. the one I guess concern I have about it being in Orlando. Yeah, that was. I mean, the the end of that. And you're right. And I had I had tweeted something out about that. The end of that Stoddard Crawford match was. I would have loved, and I didn't ask anybody what what was said because I really didn't want to know. I I like just leaving it where it was. But they did the obligatory handshake, and and they came. You know, they they came from the obligatory handshake towards the chair, and and you could see that uh, they were still still having a few words. And Anthony, the head ref, was kind of right there on the spot to just kind of push each of the guys over, not physically, but uh, you know, verbally to the bench to to keep them apart, and then. Uh, and then Crawford kind of set his stuff on the bench and walked back out to the middle of the court on his side towards the fans and just turned and, you know, gave his, his, uh, his, his typical, you know, fist pump and, oh, and, and, you know, yelling to the crowd. He was really getting everybody going. The crowd was getting pumped up. And at that point, it really looked like Florida was, you know, they had kind of, they had turned that momentum back in their favor. Things were looking good for them. So perfect uh, place to kind of, set the mark as well because you mentioned that doubles point and Florida just they can't find the combos that's working for them I I don't have the record in front of me but I know in the biggest matches that I've watched they beat Mississippi State earlier in the year beat Tennessee earlier in the year but they lost doubles points there and it's a theme we continue to see. They've played with their lineups. Perez Ingledson now becomes Perez Crawford at one. Kessler and Valle becomes Kessler and Ingledson at two. It's now Valle and Andrade at three. No Riffis in that doubles lineup. No Lucas Greif in that doubles lineup. I, for them to come back, and you asked me how many sets they won. They won first sets at one singles, two singles, uh, five singles, and six singles. And then, yeah, they go up 3-1. It's a testament to how much talent is on that roster that they're able to dig themselves out of things like this. At the same time, 
I just feel like as much talent as they have, we've said this before, it's almost becoming too hard for Coach uh, Brian Shelton. It's just too many choices. Yeah, and it's it's hard to say that you've ever got you know too many choices because it's just a matter of making mm-hmm. the right choice, and you expect the coach is going to know who's who's in form and who's not. And you know, obviously, yesterday Ingleson didn't have it, uh, and and Andrade, other than the very end, as well as Riffis, looked good. But I'll, I'll tell you the one the one thing that I'll have to go back and and kind of recant from the, our previous pod. I said, <laughs> hey, if you're looking at this team right now. Even as good as we all know, Alfredo has been in the past, and he's coming off an injury, and you know, and, and has played, you know, maybe half of the time this year. You look at him as being the weak spot. He looked incredible. I mean, at at and he's playing five, obviously, but there's not there's not a huge disparity between four and five in, in college tennis. So I don't care whether you know. In my mind, as good as he played, I mean, he. He hit every ball from every position, and he, you know, there were there were no limitations. There, were, you, he looked like the Alfredo that I was used to seeing before. He he was outstanding, and I would I would not be surprised in the least if we saw them slide him up another spot where he played on Friday against Alabama because they pulled Ingleson on Friday, uh, and Alfredo played four. I would not be surprised at all to see Alfredo move up to four, and maybe they even slide Andy Andrade down to five at this point. Uh, they're certainly justified if they want to do that, uh, just given the performances from the weekend. And uh, if I'm them, I'm I'm giving that some serious consideration. It's just so interesting to me because we mentioned this Florida Gators team and how talented they are, how many options they have. Yeah, getting back to this match, if you guys aren't aware, we haven't really talked about it, you know, uh, Florida was up 3-1. They had Andy Andrade serving in the third set, 5-3 up. And we can, I know we've spent a long time on this match, but Chris just, he couldn't get, and I, this is not, and first of all, on that last segment, I'm not trying to criticize Coach Brian Shelton. I I'm trying to empathize is the word we're looking for with him, if anything, because it is such a tough position he's in, and it's just you, you know, picking the right guys. But Andrade was right there. He's up five three, and then every net cord just started going against him. Yeah, you you were messaging me during that, like <laughs> Andrade can't buy a net cord, right? Which was true. I mean, and, and I'm there, and even when I'm not watching his court because I'm watching the Riffis match, and I'm I'm shifting my focus from one to the other. All, you know, even when I was watching, I would hear slap, you know, that slap of the ball hitting the tape. And then you look over and sure enough, it's falling back on his side. He couldn't get one to go over. And the killer, I mean, the killer, well, obviously he's up 5-3. I think, I can't remember who made it 3-2 for Tennessee, but they pulled it within 3-2, which left just uh, the Riffis, uh, Walton match on two and the Andrade Wiedemann match on four. It, it, it was Scott Jones. Scott Jones oh. knocked off Englandson. Okay. And so, then yes. they took dubs. Yeah. Yeah, so so then it's 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 three two it's three two Florida at that point and, and Tennessee needs both of these matches and they're down a break early on on the court to Riffis and Walton gets the break back at uh, I think it was they, they, there was a fifteen minute bleeding timeout which let the Wiedemann match get ahead so Riffis had Riffis I'll tell you he was into it he. He all out laid out like Superman laid out a couple times during that match, one of which he was down love 30 trying to hold and laid out for a volley that he just got the racket on, maybe even frame that popped over the net and landed to win the point and ended up helping helping him hold to win that game. But he did. He took another another time. He went down and skinned his hand up. And they had to go for a bleeding timeout. They took, uh, I think they probably sure felt like it, the full 15 minutes. And so they were at, he was at 3-2, serving 2-3, 30-all when that happened, uh, which is not a tough and easy spot to come back from because now he's got 15 minutes of being cold and he's got to go right into it and serve. Uh, but the Wiedemann match got ahead. He he ends up uh, he ends up holding. Wiedemann somehow... Uh, go, he goes down 5-3 and somehow just keeps staying in that match, which was he was just putting balls back that Andra- was just begging Andy to put him away. And and that 5-all, that 5-all, 30-all for Andrade. Yeah, and he just gets two short forehands that I'm sure he's seeing in his nightmares that he'd love to have back. And he slaps both of them 
smack into the tape. I mean, you just heard it was a loud slap, and it was it was almost identical back to back shots. Other than the first one was probably a little behind the service line. The second one, I think, was actually just inside the service line, and you were looking at it. And I was thinking as he was going to hit it, he can't possibly do this again. And right, to, he just hits it right into the tape and gets broken. And Wiedemann gets a chance, and Wiedemann goes ahead and, and win, and you know closes it out seven five, and left it all on the Riffis match. And I still at that point thought, you know, Riffis is he's going to pull it out, and Riffis and he gets broken at five all on his court, and then Walton gets to serve for the match at six five, and you know I I think Riffis might have got one point there. I think from forty fifteen, I think Walton served served it out, and and. I mean, that was just a stunning – and the crowd – I did – I turned around at one point and took a picture of the crowd hoping to get – it was a uh, – you know, it's a tough from being in the crowd to get a picture of the crowd. I would have much rather have been on the court. But the stunned look of – and it was a packed bleachers. The stunned look of all the people with their hands on their, their mouths and their cheeks of just, I can't believe what's happening here uh, was – that. I mean, it, it was crazy. I mean, we were again. We you referred to it earlier. We were texting throughout the match. It was nuts. I mean, it was. I was shocked, and just for Oliver Crawford and that team, just the way they're going to have to rebound heading into NCAs because they still have such an opportunity ahead of them. No one can deny the talent. They have a lot of soul searching to do now. A team, and I want to transition here because God, you know, we could talk about that Florida match forever. But I'm sure we're going to talk about Florida plenty in the future. Um, the other SEC match from Saturday, we can just talk about real quick, and then we'll talk about them later. South Carolina steals the doubles point from Mississippi State. They were 13 and 0 on the year when they had won the doubles point. But then the fantastic four seniors from Mississippi State, just too too strong. We were texting each other all weekend. NDN, never doubt Nuno. He comes back and wins his match, 4-6-6-3-6-1. Strali, 7-5-1-6-6-3. Trevor, 4-2. Braun, 5-1. I mean, for all of the sh** that happened to them at the National Indoors, this team is rounding into form at the right time. Yeah, they, I mean, that South Carolina really had them on their heels. They took the doubles point and they were up breaks on four courts uh, and double breaks on some or in that first set. You know, I was looking down the line and we were at the two courts nearest to the end I was standing were Trevor and Strolley. And those were the two we were okay on. Everybody else down was four, one or worse at that point in the first set. And you're thinking, Holy cow, they are just taking it to us right now. Uh, And I mean, they, they really, they had their foot on the gas, and they just, you know, it, it's a it's a team with that's that's playing a bunch of freshmen, right? So they've got at this point four freshmen playing with Yancey Dennis back in. They had been playing five freshmen much of the year, but they've got freshmen at two through five, and then Jubby at one, and, and Yancey at six. But I mean, they're a, they're a very those that's a very good team, and it was uh, that was a tough tough match to crawl out of. But like you said, I mean. Nuno, I had no idea how he was going to get out of that. Jub was playing absolutely fantastic. And it was just, it was one break. Nuno finally got one break there late in the second. I think maybe a 4-3. Uh, was able to get the break and serve for it. And then, you know, it's one of those things. Once you give him that one break and you better come back strong or he's going to put the foot on the pedal. But he did yesterday and he did again today. And, and you know, just ran away with it. All right, let's just round out the SEC real quick. Mississippi State obviously ends up winning uh, their second straight SEC tournament, knocking off Tennessee in the final, I believe it was 4-1. Uh, they take the doubles point and then get wins from Strali at 3. He put together a fantastic tournament. Trevor at 5, 3-0 on the weekend singles. He played uh, phenomenally well, and I'm not just saying that to you know butter you up. You know I don't like one-handed backhands, but I was all over Trevor's. He was great this weekend. Um but then the guy you mentioned, Nuno, uh, he wins his match today, two six six two six three. He's named tournament MVP. 
I texted this to you, you know, just in jest yesterday that the top tier for me of college guys I've seen, so this is, you know, 21st century with a grain of salt, uh, Isner, Samdev Devarman, Stevie Johnson. Those guys will always have their own place. Those are the names. But there's that next tier of guys, the guys I think of, the Mikhail Torpegards, uh, the Nuno Borges, the, uh, I mean, who are there? The Daniel Nguyen's, the, just the guys you could count it. All of the Virginia guys in that second tier because there's so many good ones. And Nuno is right there with him. This guy just, he doesn't quit. Uh, he's constantly fighting. I mean, he's such a physical player, tracking every extra ball down, so into the team environment. It's just, it's special. And so if you haven't had a chance to see him yet, you know, his college career is almost over. You have to make sure you see him play because it's it's truly magnificent. Oh, yeah, he's 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 so crazy good. And I'll tell you what, the, one of the things I love about him is just kind of how how down to earth he is. He comes up to me after the match and I said, Nuno, I don't know how you did it. I didn't know how you were going to beat the guy because to me, he was a mirror of you in that every ball that you think you put away, he gets to it. And then not only does he put it back, but he puts it back dead smack deep in the corner where you can't really do anything with it. I don't, it's great. And he looks at me and he goes, he, he, he goes, Chris, he's way faster than me. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, uh, agreed, but you get my point, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was, I was just so, um, it's so, you know, it's like, and it, but it's, he knows what he is. He knows what he isn't, but yeah, he is just so, so, so good. He, I mean, it's, it's crazy to watch. He's so hard to lock, to put away. You think you've got him down. You get a set off him. Even, even the second set late, you might be up and, and you just can't, it's, it's, the other guy that I know, and I don't get to see a whole lot of J.J. Wolf, and he's just crazy good too, obviously. But the other guy that, that I know is just hard to close out, which we also saw today, and I'm sure we'll get into, is Petros. The same kind of thing where it doesn't matter what – it, it could be 5-1. You can be up 5-1 just like Petros was down today with Nakashima. And, you know, don't don't think you're there because those guys are just not going to let you have it. Yeah, and that's the perfect transition. I do want to say, and it would have bothered me otherwise, my internet finally loaded. In that match against Tennessee earlier in the year, Tennessee took the doubles point on Florida, uh, but they had Crawford got a win at one. Andrade lost at two, but then Riffis, Inglidson, Greif, Valle got wins three, four, five, and six. So yeah, just no Greif uh, this weekend. Andrade moves down two spots, and they're just still... It's fascinating, but not to rain on the Mississippi State parade. Mississippi State, incredibly talented. It's so fun to see this team round into form. They are as dangerous as we thought they would be at the beginning of the season. But yes, you mentioned Petros Risokos. That's the last conference I want to touch on, and then we'll wrap up because, of course, we're already around the 30-minute mark. Um, This ACC tournament, before we can talk about the final, uh, it it was great to see these matches on ESPN3, CESPN, and just all weekend college tennis was featured in so many places, so that's so cool to see. Uh, But in the ACC tournament, uh, Wake Forest, we mentioned their Notre Dame match. They survive against NC State 4-2 as well in a good match. But the other semifinal, my Virginia Cavaliers knock off number nine, North Carolina 4-3. They lose the doubles point but get incredible wins. You know, If I would have told you Virginia's going to lose the doubles point and Nakashima is going to lose 0-2, you would have thought, oh, okay, this is going to be a blowout win for UNC. But Lee's in 3-4 at 6. Gianni Ross 2-6 at 4. Huge win for them. Um, Henrik Weir's home three and five at three singles. And then Carl Soderlund uh, goes just back and forth in a yo-yo match with Will Blumberg. Both guys had a ton of chances. Both guys were up breaks at multiple points. Survives the battle. Uh, double faults the breakaway at 5-3. So Blumberg breaks back for 5-4. But then breaks Blumberg to clinch the match. 3-6, 7-6, I would say this is Virginia's best win of the season. Yeah, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, so Blumberg had, was up. Three one in the third, wasn't he? And then Soderlund ripped up five three uh, yeah, before getting to I five mean, four, and then having to break back to close it. Yeah, that's why I kept stuttering so much. It was literally a yo-yo match. Like both guys had leads at multiple chances. You thought the momentum was seized. Virginia went up three two, but then Boyden closed and Blumberg broke back on a double fault. And you thought, okay, this is North Carolina making their push right here at the end. 
And then Soderlund, you, uh, this is not my term, but Mike Cation described someone else as this, so I'm going to steal it from him. Soderlund's just a cockroach out there. He survives. No matter what you try, he's sticking that extra ball back. It could be a nasty forehand slice, some nasty uh, chop at the ball, but he is just, uh, there's a reason he's number five in the country. Yeah, oh, there's, I would never, ever want to play play that guy. He's, and I think I told you this at indoors, he's, he's the guy, when you watch him playing, you're like, there's no way he's number five in the country because he's not he's not ripping the ball he's not hitting every ball super clean I mean he's he's he looks like the guy that just hits junk that you're thinking if you just casually watch for a few minutes you go oh what is he six and <laughs> then you then you then you watch some more and you're like oh my you can't you just you know he hits that for a little while and then all of a sudden then he just rips one by you or you know he's got all the shots in the book and yeah you just can't put him away he he just won't die I mean. Yeah, he's 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 sneak sneaky good, and it's a it's a very tricky game. It's not your not your typical game for sure. And even more fascinating than moving to our finals uh, for Virginia today against Wake Forest to take the doubles point the way they did, uh, and we said you know despite having all these veterans, the, you know, bots are in free soakers at two doubles. That's great, but it's really hard for uh, Wake Forest to find that second point. And today, uh, Virginia takes two uh, tiebreakers in doubles, Nakashima and Wearsholm over Gajev and Gojo, Ross and Woodall over Banthi and Iftafalu at three. And they, they take the doubles point. Nakashima rolls out to a 7-6, 5-1 lead on Free Sokos. Wearsholm scrapping. Uh, Lizon gets a straight set win. And just still, somehow, this Wake Forest team, they you know they lose a doubles point. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, just, I mean, when, when, I, when I saw that, that it was 7-6, 5-1, I was just – my first thought was I was just in shock that – that Petros was down seven six five one, and and keep in mind, right? Nakashima lost what zero and two yesterday. Yeah, it's something <laughs> crazy like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, and then uh, turn and then turns around today, and he's up seven six five one on Petros, and then you know, and and but like I said, you just you yeah five one whatever. It you can't. Petros is not going to give you any free points, and he's going to get even tougher. And and he wouldn't go down in the fa- and and. The fact that he wouldn't go down, I'm I'm guessing, you know, had even had some effect on the other match that was was still going where Botzer and Wiersholm were going. And it looked like maybe Wiersholm was up in that breaker and looked like he might be able to get away with with it, you know, with one there and and force a third. But, you know, it just wasn't to be wakes just there. They find them. And that's what good teams do. Right. It does. It's just a point here or there. And those the, the good teams find a way, just like Virginia did with Carolina twice. They found a way when they needed to, and Wake's just got that little extra on Virginia where they find the way when they need to. You mentioned Petros being special. I mean, he fought off match points in there. Nakashima threw in some double faults as well. But if I would have told you Wake Forest wins and Petros' match doesn't finish, you'd have laughed at me. If I'm, you know, up three, if I have three points and there are two matches on court and it's Barbotzer and Petros Frisokos, I'm Tony Bresky. I'm kicking up my feet thinking, you know, damn, I did something right today because that is exactly the situation you want to find yourself in. And to Barbotzer's credit, guy clinches yesterday against NC State, clinches today against Virginia. We know he clinched last year's national title. I know he's old. Uh, obviously, he had a, a defer when he went to the Israeli military. Then he came back, played college tennis. So people give him shit for that. But you really can't because this guy is as clutch as they come, uh, delivers again for this team. And I don't know. I... Considering they could get better, like this was their, as you mentioned, their C plus day. You obviously think this team is capable of winning a national title, but they do have flaws. Oh yeah, there's. I mean, it, it, I don't. You know, it's hard to call them flaws, but it's when when you're when you're as good as they are at the top. Whether you want to call it a weak spot or just the spot you have to beat them at, you know where you have to beat them. <laughs> you know, I mean, you need to take doubles and you need to win the bottom of the lineup uh, because trying to win anything at one and two is going to—it's not that it can't be done; it has been done, but but uh, that's going to be very very hard. Botzer's been super clutch at three, so yeah, you're—I mean, it doesn't matter who you are coming in; you're probably thinking a really good chance is doubles four, five, six, and. That's not because of necessarily even who four, five, six are. It's because of who one, two, three are. But but yeah, I mean they they can be susceptible down there, and that's 
probably, I mean, that's just where you're going to have to get them, at least two out of those three, plus like, plus doubles and one of the ones up top. No, I agree with you, and we can explore that more later on. Uh, I lied. There's two, uh, two more obvious things we got to talk about real quick, and then I want you to mention the, the team that stole the bid, but Columbia locks up their Ivy League title. They knock off Dartmouth 7-0. Sorry, Fliegner, and they knock off Harvard 4-1. I mean, we talked about them jokingly earlier, but great for them. That's their sixth straight share of an Ivy League title. Uh, and then the other one we didn't mention, and I think we can mention this more when you get a chance to kind of look at the results results because I know you're on the road but Baylor today knocks off Texas 4-1 they win a doubles point despite the number one team in the country Uh, I think it's little or not little La Bendick and La losing 6-0 at one doubles they get wins from Soto Boy uh, 10 with the clincher and I believe their last win came at number I'm trying to think it was two they, where was their other one? Two, three, and no, Will Little lost. They must have won at five. Yeah, I believe they did get that other win at five. Um, I mean, even without Roy Smith, both Baylor and Texas, national title contenders. Yeah, I mean, Baylor's and and Shredder, you know, he's he's the guy that you set that cycle at the top because they're they're super, super deep, but they don't have you know, they don't have a Nuno at one or a J.J. Wolf at one or a Goyo at one. So that's the spot for the big teams that you're trying to pick on for sure. But it, but he's holding his own, and he held his own with Sigsgaard. And, I, I mean, it's a big ball. You're going to, you know, he's going to be a favorite if most, in most matches if it's in bars. Uh, but still, I mean, to beat Texas for one, that's Yeah, leave it to Coach Bolin to have his team peaking at the right moments. It's almost like he won three national championships in a row before he stepped aside. Uh, Chris, I kept you on longer than I than I promised, of course, but what do you expect? It is an Alex Gruskin production. Uh, any final thoughts on the weekend of tennis? No, hey, I'm, uh, it was it's a great weekend. I was glad glad to get that one behind us, and uh, you know, I just look forward to the next ten hours of driving I have. You know. <laughs> and I hope you drive safe. I also want to say uh, I appreciate that you didn't bring up the Michigan loss to Iowa. You know, yeah. we talked about it for like 30 minutes beforehand. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was enough. To, uh, you got your venting out there. We, we don't need to go any further. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Uh, Chris, drive safely and we will talk to you soon. And again, we've got a ton of college tennis stuff. I know you're traveling um, or you're doing whatever it is you do, but uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you later this week. Absolutely. All right, take care. What a weekend it was of tennis. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris, and I hope you enjoyed us geeking out about college tennis a little bit because when college tennis is good, it's great, and it really was great this weekend. As I mentioned before, be sure to check out our website if you missed any of the action, crackedrackets.com. We keep you up to date with all things ATP, WTA, fun, you know, gossipy, all fun in the tennis world. So go check that out. Social media, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, it's at Cracked Rackets. If you want to be a part of our gear giveaway contest, you know, leave a five-star review on the Mini Break Podcast. Leave your Instagram, Twitter, handles, Facebook, Facebook. Uh, email you know the deal we just want to get in contact with you i'm not trying to be weird i just want to get you some gear i promise you'll like it so go check that out um be a part of that don't be the person who doesn't leave a review it takes 30 seconds and you can get a free shirt out of it that sounds good to me but uh uh, if that doesn't sound good to you, I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah, with that, another huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do, as always. But for my wonderful guest, Chris Hallioris, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know the deal. That's the break, and we will see you all week long. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>